On behalf of the people and clergy of St. Luke's Church, I welcome you, wish you a Merry Christmas, all who are here all the time to express our gratitude, those of you who are visiting or seeking. St. Luke seeks to be a place where we welcome all who worship, all who doubt, and all who would move from fear to faith. The great days and seasons in the Christian year, we're a liturgical church, and so we worship in a formal way, and we also have a calendar of how we worship in the times and the seasons. And the great days are about pointing to us certain of the central ideas that animate Christianity and give us the ways and the means of appropriating and making part of our own personal history the power of God's work uh, in our lives. And so this morning I'm going to preach a little bit about something that's been on my mind and a lot of people's minds for a while now, and then to do what I always do, and that's to speak about uh, the four affirmations that are part of the Christmas season that are very important to our understanding of this time of year and how we see ourselves as Christian people laboring to cooperate with God to fulfill his purposes for the cosmos. I use the term cosmos a lot in Christmas, not because I'm a particular fan of Carl Sagan, which also dates me, but to say that it's a wonderful word to speak about the creation because it means order or the movement of order on the forces of chaos in the creation, how we participate in that. It's a Greek word, and it also can be translated as ornament. So it's often fun to think about that during Christmas, because ornaments are around a lot, aren't they? And it maybe is a better way to think about the fact, when I get to the affirmations, that each one of us is one of God's ornaments in a particular and compelling way. Over the last many years now, there has been a great focus on uh, the relationship between science and religion. We have had lots of books written by people who are radical skeptics. We have had an awful lot of uh, stuff from uh, the religious right, which has not only confused but repelled not just a few. And so we need to think thoughts about all of that. I'm going to quote Alan Jones, the former dean of Grace Cathedral, a couple of times. He said something that we all need to keep in mind, and that is we're all fundamentalists. We're all fundamentalists in some form or another because of the way in which we cling to our preconceived notions. Even if we think we're advanced and progressive and all kinds of things, we are fundamentalists about how we think and act often in that regard. What I run into as a pastor, uh, and I've been one for a while, is perhaps another way to explain this, maybe a little less um, radically skeptical and annoying. Uh, but the writer Julian Barnes in his autobiography that he wrote a few years ago called Nothing to be Frightened of says, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. That's why I say that when the, that's what I say when the question is put. I asked my brother, who has taught philosophy at Oxford, Geneva, and the Sorbonne, 
what he thought of such a statement. And without revealing that it was my own, he replied in a single word, soppy, which is an English term which means overly sentimental. So there's that around. Now here's the thing. There are a great many people who are radically skeptical of Christianity, religion of any kind, uh, believe it's based in science, forget the fact that uh, for many thousands of years there have been two ways of understanding reality, facts and the narrative and meaning. And we can't live without those two things. A book I'll recommend to you, I've recommended it to some in the past, <clears throat> Stephen Prothero. Religious Literacy. Stephen Prothero teaches religion at Boston College. And he said, I got so sick, he teaches religion, I got so sick of teaching the undergraduates uh, a religion class when they knew absolutely nothing about religion. He's done questionnaires, he's passed out stuff for them to look at. And one of the things that he discovered are things like this. What is the most quoted passage in the Bible? 40% answer, God helps those who help themselves. The most quoted passage in the Bible actually is... For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Benjamin Franklin is the one who said God helps those who help themselves. Right? 40% of the people on the questionnaire said Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. <laughs> What do you do? <laughs> this is one of the most religious countries in the world and also one of the most religiously ignorant countries of the world. And so we have a job to do. We have a job to uh, understand that if anything is important to us, we need to be a student of the deep things of the Christian faith in life. I, oh, I forgot to say also that 40% of the people who responded in the, in the United States believe that the earth is 6,000 years old. So, here we go. Let me say a word now about the affirmations, which are important. We affirm this time of year, all the time, but this time of year in a special way, uh, the goodness of our humanity, that the incarnation, God becoming a human being, is the greatest affirmation of God's need for us to fulfill his plan for the cosmos, and also for the fact that God, what God made, God called good, and that we need to affirm the goodness of our humanity. We affirm that we can achieve the highest of our human potential. And the reason for that is that Christian people, certainly the eyewitnesses who saw and heard Jesus, 
believe that in this man's words and in this man's works, we have seen words and works indistinguishable from the words and works of God. And more to the point that we, was that we weren't watching some tableau. He had given us tools that we could use to be like him. You hear me quote Father Thomas Keating all the time. We are not God, but our true self is God. And Christmas is the time when we receive the great yes to that divine spark that is in every human person. The goodness of our humanity. Our achieving the highest of our human potential. We affirm that it is possible to be joyful. And we affirm that Christian people are to be people of peace. My kids live in North Vancouver, British Columbia. And there's a Indian band, or First Nations, they call it in, in Canada, uh, in North Vancouver called the Salish Band. And the chief of the Salish Band is Leonard George. His father was Chief Dan George who some of you may have heard of many years ago, if you're an old guy like I am, uh, was in some movies, you know, The Outlaw of Josie Wales and some other things. He was a, an actor in those movies. And I met him once a long, long, long time ago now. Leonard George is the chief, and he spends a lot of time working with uh, disaffected youth in his band and in the area around and he says his wish for the troubled youth he works with is that when they get up in the morning and look in the mirror, they love, honor, and celebrate what they see. They love, honor, and celebrate what they see. That's not unique to them, obviously. I hope that we all do. Sometimes we don't, probably. But that's something that we need to think about in terms of what it means to affirm the goodness of our humanity, which he labors to do with those young people. So when we also say that we can now achieve the highest of our human potential... It means that we are able now to touch in some way uh, that internal piece of us which is able to move beyond fear to faith. And that by virtue of that, the confidence and the serenity that that produces enables us to uh, be God's people in the world. Joy, in the Christian sense is not some form of hitty, giddy hilarity. I always used to think of joy like Snoopy. You know that image? For the Christian person, joy is the sure and steady confidence that the conundrums, the uncertainties, the ambiguities of life can and will come into surer and clearer focus. In other words, we'll see a way through We'll see a way to understand uh, how we move from fear to faith. You know, sometimes when you're very anxious or you're very upset or whatever it is that's overwhelming you, 
you find the ways and the means to not get rid of those feelings, but to just hold them in another place. And so you're able to move forward in a way that is consistent with God's purposes. If there's any people in the world that ought to be people of peace, uh, it's Christian people. We're the ones who need to be ambassadors for peace. Paul in 2 Corinthians says we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. He has no other way to do that. And I hope you agree with me that there's a lot been going on in this country over the last while that peace is something that is very needed. We need peace. We need to figure this out. We need how to be together and uh, to disagree. One of the great paradoxes of Christian anthropology is that two completely different people uh, are in communion with one another. That's one of the things about the Church of God, that we are separate, but we can be one. And we all share the same divine DNA in that sense. When Jesus would have spoken the word peace, he would have used the Hebrew word shalom. Uh, shalom is a, in Hebrew is a much deeper word than peace in English. Here's some of the definitions. Completeness, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony, the absence of agitation or discord. The shalom of God is both a willingness to bring these qualities to our relational life, but also to bring them to bear on our own internal emotional and spiritual states so that we remember we are centered in God's love and care. When Jesus became a human being, he assumed the entire uh, aspect of what it means to be human. He went through all the stages of uh, development that we learn about if you learn about them in developmental psychology without ever having ratified the emotional programs for happiness that Father Keating talks about, security and survival, affection and esteem, and power and control. All of those things are necessary to function. But each one of us knows that when one of those three energy centers gets off the rails, it's heavy sledding. And so the Savior is an example of how you can be fully human, but also, in some sense, uh, rise above those uh, irrational programs for happiness and move to a more God-centered place. So as we continue uh, the Christmas season, take the shalom of God with you. See if you have the opportunity to commend uh, the peace of God to others that it's very, very important 
and that as we move in that direction, we are moving in a direction more consistent with God's purposes for us. That is probably the best Christmas present of all. Amen.